0: Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Hey, everybody. Who needs football, I ask? We've got live local outdoors programming right here on WCCO Outdoors. On News Talk 830, I am Rob at Jerislein. And like I said, we are live. Happy New Year, dear listeners. Uh, Looking forward to a fantastic 2023 uh, we were not uh, we were not here last sunday it was christmas so i hope everyone enjoyed a great holiday weekend with friends and family and i hope you're enjoying a fine new year's weekend also uh, looking forward to another day of sleeping in a little bit tomorrow my schedule un- unfortunately my internal clock usually prevents me from sleeping in even on holidays but nonetheless uh, looking forward to uh, one more mellow day before we really kick off uh, 2023 yeah, so we wrapped up, uh, what, deer hunting wrapped up yesterday statewide, so there's no more archery hunting going on. I've got a, a young man who <clears throat> who works for me who was very excited about uh, uh, stealing a couple hours uh, at the end of the day, Thursday and Friday, wanting to know if he could get out and, and try to enjoy a little last-minute archery deer hunting. I said, by all means, go out and do that. Uh, if you work for me at Outdoor News, I want you to uh, have those opportunities. Uh, But that is now officially wrapped up. We had some other seasons, I believe, wrap up today. Pheasant uh, and grouse, uh, the DNR allows those to go through the weekend, which is kind of nice, right? Uh, Even though it's technically 2023, the DNR gives folks the opportunity to enjoy a full weekend and get out and and still pursue those species. But I'm pretty sure those wrap up uh, today. So uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed a good uh, fall hunting season. Uh, ice fishing, of course, is definitely underway. We'll uh, probably talk some ice conditions a little bit later uh, in the show. We still have a couple hunting seasons that go till the end of February. What uh, squirrel and rabbit, those seasons go uh, another two months. So still uh, lots of opportunity there. And hey, I, I always like to talk about the, the days getting longer we 're past the solstice already by ten days. I bet we 've gained a solid five minutes of daylight from uh, from ten eleven days ago, and that 's just going to start accelerating and improving as we go forward. Nice uh, full show. We're going to have my old friend Tim Lesmeister with us here in about ten minute, five, ten minutes. Tim, a longtime radio colleague of mine on outdoors programming around the area. Uh, he's going to join me. We'll catch up with him on several headlines, uh, get his take on ice fishing. A bunch of crazy headlines out of Wisconsin. We had Pat Durkin with us two weeks ago, I believe, and we talked about some of the things cooking over there. Well, a lot of those, I think, I think the major stories we talked with Pat about resolved, uh, in, in the past couple of weeks. So we will talk to Tim because he's uh, he's got a lake home in uh, Wisconsin and he follows what's going on in the Badger State quite closely. Also, we're going to have Shannon Fisher with us at the bottom of the hour. He's with the Minnesota DNR. You may have heard some of the rumblings about uh, what the agency has got cooking with revamping its record fish program. Uh, some of the records that go back before 1980, some of those fish were never measured on certified scales. And so the DNR is uh, saying, you know what, we're going to take a look at revamping this a little bit, maybe expand their catch-and-release record fish program a little bit, which I think everyone would would definitely be on board with that. So we're going to talk with Shannon Fisher from the DNR about that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Last segment's going to be open. I am more than happy to take some calls from folks who would like to get involved with the broadcast, 651-461-9226. Uh, is the call-in line if there's an outdoor topic on your mind. Before we go to break to talk to Les Meister, a couple of headlines I wanted to address. One, uh, a very sad, unfortunate passing, uh, a gentleman named Glenn Delgides, a a DNR researcher from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Uh, He passed away uh, last week. The the Star Tribune had a very nice uh, remembering story about him in the Thursday, December 29th. Outdoor news, we also had a a small story about it. It happened uh, shortly before we went to press, but we were able to include uh, a a short story about it. We're going to have, I think, a longer one next week. Tim Spielman, I think, wants to jump on that and and write more about Glenn. Uh, This guy was remarkable. Uh, If you care about moose or white-tailed deer, especially in the forested portion of the state, uh, you owe Glenn Delgadis a a lot. Uh, this man was was a great wildlife researcher, and I tell you what, I've I've interviewed a lot of wildlife researchers over the years. Uh, there's been a couple that I that I didn't like so much. I thought they were kind of a little bit arrogant. Uh, that was not Glenn at all. He was very approachable. Uh, he's one of those guys that picked up the phone when a journalist called, and you know was happy to provide good information. Uh, to to the public to explain what he was doing you know we've lost a lot of moose in northern minnesota the northwestern portion of the state moose are pretty much extinct there's a few left Uh, and and in northeastern minnesota that population has been gradually declining it's been hard to see now it's stabilized i think really the past five six seven years but we're watching it real close, and Glenn was one of those guys that was uh, that was definitely uh, closely involved in doing that. Uh, he was he was only sixty eight years old. You know, a real tragic part of this is always tragic when we lose someone. But I guess Glenn was was planning to retire like this week from the agency. So uh, very sad, uh, unexpectedly passed away following a, a week long hospital stay. I did not know Glenn was also an adjunct professor in graduate studies at the University of Minnesota. Tony Kennedy's story in the Star Tribune mentioning that, so I, I want to uh, point that out. But rest in peace, Glenn. Thank you for all you did for the fine resources uh, in in the state of Minnesota. We we owe you a lot. Uh, before we uh, break, uh, another uh, gentleman who's, who's with us, but unfortunately going to be leaving the outdoor scene, Dave Carlson, Uh, In my column, I talked about Dave retiring from the Minnesota Outdoor Heritage Alliance. That's a pretty big deal. MOHA uh, has been a really important umbrella group in state outdoor politics on the state outdoor scene. MOHA was really an important group when we passed uh, Amendment 2 back in 1998, the Right to Hunt and Fish Amendment, Uh, folks uh, that's going on 25 years ago that we passed that that's amazing but that would not have passed without moha now dave was not really um, he wasn't involved with moha back then he's been the president of the group the past six years about a year ago it's my understanding he told his board guys i'm gonna i've been doing this six years i can't keep doing it i gotta retire and unfortunately the board hasn't come up with anyone else to fill his his shoes fill his boots and that's it's an important role. It's mostly volunteer, I think, and without a strong executive director slash president for that organization, there's a lot of us watching the state conservation scene who worry that MOHA might go away. Uh, MOHA was one of the many groups involved with passing the dedicated funding amendment that passed in 2008, ten years after the um, uh, amendment to right to hunt and fish amendment, and you know. Hundreds of millions of dollars of state sales tax have been dedicated to important outdoor projects because of the efforts of those groups getting that passed, getting it on the ballot, and then state citizens, of course, jumping on board and passing it in 2008. And I I feel comfortable saying that without MOHA, I don't think we would have gotten that done either. Uh, So every year, MOHA would host a a legislative banquet. It was kind of a, a liaison between sportsmen's groups in Minnesota and legislators at the Capitol. And there were fewer. there have been fewer and fewer legislators showing up at that banquet. They also held some caucus meetings with legislators at the Capitol periodically. So my point is, if we lose mohawk we're going to lose a really important voice interacting with state legislators on outdoor topics. And so I, I want to thank Dave for his hard work. I certainly don't hold it against him that he wants to retire. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm worried what might happen on Minnesota's outdoor scene if we don't find another group to fill the void that MOHA has occupied so well uh, over the past uh, two, three decades. Let's break. We're going to have my friend Tim Lesmeister with us. When we return, we're going to talk a whole host of issues, so don't go away. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I'm Rob Gerislein, managing editor-publisher of Outdoor News. Very happy to be with you until 6 o'clock, until the top of the hour. We've got a nice full show here on this January 1st, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Like I say, who needs football? We got live local outdoor radio coming at you right now. At the top of the hour when we're wrapped up, stay tuned for 60 minutes. Then Steel Talking with Lynn Steele. So lots of uh, good content even after we wrap up. Going to jump in now with my friend Tim Lesmeister. Tim, a longtime friend of mine, Outdoor News. I've uh, done a lot of radio together over the years, and I thought he'd be a good gentleman to catch up with. On this January first, Happy New Year, my friend, Mister Lasmeister.
1: Happy New Year, and I can't believe you brought me into the show with a little bit of Led Zeppelin. I think that was just about the best bump you could have come up with. Ah, you, you know, based it. on the fact that that I have I have been a fan of theirs forever. So you know, I'm, I don't listen to a lot of classic rock, but every once in a while, I'll throw a Zeppelin tune on just to get those memories flowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I like classic rock when I'm on the road. It seems like it's kind of reassuring wherever you are. Classic rock always kind of sticks with you. It
1: uh, <laughs> t- sure does.
0: Timmy, uh, real quick, ice report. Your son Brent's got an ice house, I believe, out on Minnetonka. How are ice conditions out there? Have you talked to him in the past day or so? How's the fishing?
1: Well, they had to drag it out uh, right after, you know, the weather started to get better. Uh, they had to drag it out with, uh, with four-wheelers because... Uh, the ice was just right on the edge. you know, do you drive out? do you not drive out? and I'm always pushing the, my boys to you know it's it's all about extreme caution yeah. when you're out on the ice you, you want you wanna go with what you know and so they pulled it out with four wheelers, they've got some holes drilled uh the The night crappie bite on uh, Carson's Bay where they've got the, that shelter set up is has been a little spotty. But uh, they're catching a few nice fish. I think that they're chomping at the bit because had there not been so much snow on the ice when that cold weather came through, uh, there'd be a lot more places they could get to. And this is a really good time of the year to be walleye fishing, and, and they just can't get to it. So they're going to have to be satisfied with the uh, tip-ups in the day for pike and those uh, 12-inch crappies at night. That's where they're at right now.
0: As challenging as the ice conditions have been here, given the snow and then this warm up we had, I was talking to guys a couple states east in Michigan, and it, it's a real mess because uh, it got even warmer. It got up into the forties there, so I guess we'll be happy with what we got, uh, especially up north. I think we've got we got some good ice fishing. Tim, let's jump into some Wisconsin headlines. You've got a you've got a lake place over there, so it, I feel comfortable talking Wisconsin with you a little bit. I had Pat Durkin with us two weeks ago, and we talked about some of the things brewing there. Well, most of those stories resolved just in the past couple of weeks, and I thought we'd, we'd jump on it. Uh, one, we talked about that Natural Resources Board situation over there. They got they have a, an NRB in Wisconsin. We don't have that in Minnesota. Some people have advocated for it as a way to separate politics That's the idea from natural resources management. Unfortunately, politics definitely infiltrated the Wisconsin Natural Resources Board. We had the head of that board, Fred Preen, who said he wasn't going to leave even after his term was over uh, until the state Senate approved his successor. Uh, Preen finally announcing a couple about 10 days ago that he would be stepping down. I think it was effective this past Friday, December 30th, and Evers could appoint his next person, again, assuming the uh, state Senate over there approves whoever that is. Uh, something you've been watching. I, I, you know, I'm glad to see this starting to resolve itself. I guess
1: I looked at it as kind of a temper tantrum. I think when when Evers won uh, the election as governor of Wisconsin, uh, you know, there were people that were just dumbfounded initially, and they said, you know, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that this guy doesn't get free reign where he deserves it. And in this case, it was the board, the the, the Natural Resources Board. And it's just, you know, to me, that's pure stupidity. They talk about establishing something like this in Minnesota to take the politics out. You can't take the politics out. We're in a situation right now where he says he's not leaving, and the courts actually supported him on this. Yeah, they
0: did, in, in a 4-3 to three ruling. That's right, yeah.
1: But we know who, you know, sadly today the courts are almost as political as the politicians are. Yeah, good point. But, yeah. but but But, yeah, because we know who basically put those judges in place that made that decision. So here this guy is sitting there saying, I'm not leaving, but come on. When someone is elected governor and has the obligation to put people into a position uh, because they feel that, you know, the direction that a particular agency should go should be steered by that individual that has actually won, then don't you think it's right that you step down when your time is up. No, throw a temper tantrum. Say you're going to stick around. You're going to make you know life miserable on the guy who literally is supposed to have some decision-making power here. I just didn't think it was right, and I'm glad he finally decided to step down and, and get this process moving in the direction where it's supposed to go.
0: Yeah, generally, o- over my entire life, we've taken for granted when people's terms are up, they leave. It's uh, just in the past right. few years that that somehow seems to have changed. I, I don't know if this factors into it, but it's my understanding that there's three other people on that board that are scheduled, their terms are scheduled to end May 1st. Uh, and I know at least two of them were aligned with Preen on some things. So maybe he, you know, part of it was, well, uh, the, the whole board is going to be. Revamped here before the end of the year, and it's it's time to, to move on. Anyway, I'm glad to see that that's starting to uh, resolve. Uh, we've got a new DNR commissioner over there. Uh, except they don't call it commissioner; they call it DNR secretary. I've always that seems like a strange word for for what we call a DNR commissioner, but but nonetheless. Preston Cole uh, had that role for the first Evers term. Did a good job. uh, Locked horns with Preen a couple times at some Natural Resources Board meetings, I believe. Uh, But he's in his early 60s. Sounds like he's ready to retire. Uh, Wisconsin Outdoor News, Dean Bortz, I think, broke this first. But I see Wisconsin Public Radio, other stations, other news sources over there uh, reporting uh, that Evers has appointed a new guy. His name's Adam Payne. Uh, looks like he's in his early fifties. looks like he's got a pretty good outdoor resume seems like a middle of the road kind of guy. I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. What do you think
1: yeah i'm I'm very optimistic because I think that what the Department of Natural Resources needs more than anything in Wisconsin right now is somebody that understands administration and can pull everybody together. This guy, you know it seems to me is this is one of his strong suits, and I believe that because of that we might see some continuity, which is something that the Wisconsin DNR doesn't have right now and hasn't had for a while. If you look at some of the stuff that's gone on over there, and and even just the last five years with their wolf hunt uh, uh, fiasco, uh, some of the stuff that they're doing with um, uh, lake management, the Mississippi River, I mean, you, you look at some of these things and you go, oh, my gosh, what's going on with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources? And I think it's just continuity. They need to, to bring themselves together, and, and, and they need some new blood to do that. And this guy seems to have all the qualifications that can make that happen. I don't think he's real strong as a hunter. I don't think he's real strong as an angler. Probably doesn't know a whole lot about forest management. Maybe he does uh, know a little more than I give him credit for. But I do give him a lot of credit for the fact that he's been a, a great administrator Uh, in in his career, and that's what they need right now.
0: I think you summarized that uh, really well, Tim, and that's something we've got over here. I don't always agree with our DNR's stance on some issues, but it's a pretty well-oiled machine right now, Uh, and and I think they're feeling pretty confident coming out of an election with their their boss winning re-election, and so it's... Seems like something we haven't had to, to deal with as much here uh, in, in Minnesota. Final headline out of Wisconsin. We've just got a couple minutes left, Tim. A little closer to the Minnesota border, Buffalo County, which, of course, touches uh, the Minnesota border down in that Winona area, my old stomping grounds. Buffalo County, Tim, is a is a place I grew up hunting. Before it was hip, before it was cool, before all the deer hunting magazines uh, revered Buffalo County is like this uh, this deer hunting nirvana. I was hunting Buffalo County when I was a kid, uh, tromping up and down those big hills, those big coolies down there. It's big country, and by golly, we got some bad news out of Buffalo County. They found a deer with chronic wasting disease, a doe here. Uh, I believe they announced it about a week ago.
1: And that's what really scares me about this is that it's a young doe. You know, most of the time you'll see chronic wasting disease literally show up in these old bucks. And, and we've got a young doe that, that turns up with CWD. That makes me think that it's a little more prevalent than we'd like it to be in that region. And that is a, a region for big bucks. Yeah. And that's, a really, that's an area that's coveted as one of the areas where you're going to go find yourself a trophy buck. Yeah. Well, you're not going to find any trophy bucks there if CWD moves in. And starts wiping out that herd. Exactly, so, and, and
0: and I, Tim, I don't know what you know what's going on, how prevalent it is. It you know we've got CWD in Winona County across the river. Did it did it actually come from Minnesota to Wisconsin in this case? I, I kind of doubt it. But uh, none, you know, there's a lot of quality deer management down there, right? To, to your point, this is trophy management country, and that that strategy could be altered now that they've got to implement CWD management. Well Tim, I, I am out of time. I appreciate you calling in. Uh, you you and Ray off to a great start to the new year.
1: Oh, you better believe it. Uh it's going to be a great 2023 and I'm really looking forward to some great times on the water, some, you know, uh, the ducks will be flying, the pheasants will be dropping and uh, 2023 to me is going to be the the year that I get out and just have a lot of fun doing it all. Well, I'm looking forward to staying
0: in touch with you. Next time you're in the Twin Cities on a Sunday, we'll get you in studio. You and I can co-host. We'll have a good old time like the old days.
1: That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. All
0: right, Tim. Thanks for checking in. Have a great new year. Say hi to Ray for me.
1: All right. We'll... We'll see you later. Happy New Year, everybody. Right.
0: Tim Lesmeister, frequent contributor to Outdoor News and a great all-around guy. Fun catching up with him. Let's break. We will check in with Shannon Fisher from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Talk about this new record fish program the agency's got cooking. When do we return? This is WCCO Outdoors. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Drieslein. We are here until the top of the hour. Going to jump into an interview now with Shannon Fisher from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Talk about the agency's new record fish program that they're unveiling this year. Uh, As promised now, I want to jump into an interview with Shannon Fisher. Shannon is the DNR's Fisheries Populations Monitoring and Regulations Manager. Quite a mouthful. He's been in the news quite a bit the past couple weeks, and he joins us now. Shannon, thanks for jumping in.
2: Thanks for having me, Rob.
0: So like I mentioned, Shannon, you've been in the news lately because there's a process underway to kind of look at our record fish program here in Minnesota. A lot of folks, if you pick up the regs, you look in the back, you see the list of record fish. That's kind of been the extent of the program in the past, but it's it's expanding a bit. Is that a good way to summarize it?
2: Yeah, that is a good way to, to look at it. Uh, we're, we're trying to make some corrections on a few things that uh, maybe... Are in need of some attention, but we also are looking to expand based on angler needs and desires. And so we're looking to add some catch and release options, and we're looking to take a closer closer look, anyways, at the uh, at the older some of the older records to to see how the weight uh, the weight records are looking.
0: Well, let's circle back to the catch and release thing here in a few minutes. But for now, let's talk about the classic records, basically the catch and kill records. Uh, You you know, if you want the state record for any species, you had to kill it. And at least since, what, 1980, have it weighed on a certified scale? Is that when that was was implemented 42 years ago?
2: That's correct. Prior to 1980, we took people's word for it. There was no certified uh, scale measurement requirement. And, uh, but then in 1980, they had to have it on a state certified scale.
0: Do you know what happened in 1980? I don't know if you, you're you're probably my age, (laughs) Shannon. So I presume you were a kid in 1980, uh, and probably don't know the wherefores or how tos that went into implementing that. But did someone at DNR just say, Hey, wait a minute, at least fish have to be weighed on a certified scale. Do you know how that went down?
2: I think some of it occurred because of the discussion surrounding the 1979 state record walleye and uh, there were some questions, uh, you know, I don't think anybody was necessarily questioning that the individual caught a very large walleye. I I think they were questioning a little bit on should we be requiring a a certified weight on these fish And, and the option is certainly there because we have certified scales at a variety of different places across the state. So.
0: I know in Eric Morgan's story in this week's outdoor news, Shannon, you kind of went out of your way to say, you know, the DNR is not saying that those records are not valid, but we do need to face facts that they weren't registered on a certified scale, and so that kind of creates two categories in a way. Is that is that that, that a way a way to put it, or how would it, you put it more succinctly?
2: It it does. We're we're wanting to recognize some of those older records as historical records. Uh, We're certainly not disparaging those records in any way, shape, or form. We would like to still have those uh, recorded, but we are also looking to make sure that records moving forward are all from a certified scale, and uh, so we're, we're looking to potentially open those records back up again.
0: So we've got 12 state records established before 80 now as state historical records. So is it basically... Open season on a a new state record for for those 12 categories? I don't even know what they are. Uh, uh, Can you give me a quick example of one? Is it it one of the bass, for example? If I go out and catch a a two-pound bass this spring and I hurry up and get it registered, will I hold that record for for a few months until someone else uh, registers a bigger one?
2: Well, smallmouth bass is definitely one of the 12 species that we're looking at. There will be a minimum weight or a minimum size uh, established. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we're we're going to go into our our lake and stream survey database, and we're going to look and see, you know, what is the say the ninetieth percentile in terms of how big do these fish get in our waters, and we'll we'll establish, you know, that in order to apply for a state record, it would have to be at least some minimum size. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so okay. that way, it isn't the the free for all situation that,
0: that I described. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's probably uh, a good idea. So where where is this process at? Is this just flat out the DNR is implementing this, or are you taking public comment on it? Uh, and if not, is it being implemented immediately? When when will this all unfurl?
2: Well, right now we're taking uh, taking feedback on it uh, just to see if there's anything that we've maybe overlooked, things we haven't considered, and uh, the intent here would be to. You know, incorporate uh, comments that we do receive, and if all goes as planned, or you know, looks like we can proceed, uh, we're looking at a March 1st of 2024 start date.
0: Okay, so uh, so a ways out here before this uh, becomes official. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Dreislein. Uh, We are chatting with Shannon Fisher, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Fisheries Population Monitoring and Regulations Manager, about the new record fish program that the agency wants to unveil. Shannon just said uh, probably the goal is to have it in place by March 1 of 2024. Let's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, circle back to the catch and release record fish program. We've got, what, four species that are part of that program now, northern pike, muskie, lake sturgeon, and flathead catfish. It's a fairly recent program, at least compared to going back to 1980, but I guess it's been a few years now. Explain to folks why that catch-and-release program exists. What was the thinking behind that?
2: The original thinking was that we have these uh, handful of large, long-lived species that we don't necessarily have a lot of anglers that are wanting to catch and kill these fish to potentially claim a a state record. And so they they wanted to have a catch and release option. And that was how those first four were established. They're, like I said, large long-lived species. However, we've got a lot of anglers now that uh, have expressed interest in in other species. Uh, They would uh, like to have catch and release options for largemouth bass and walleye and others. And we also have a growing interest in, in rough fish, and the anglers that are harvesting rough fish or, or going after rough fish, they're not necessarily wanting to kill a large rough fish specimen either, and so they've been asking for some catch-and-release options as well.
0: So would you describe the catch-and-release record fish program as, as reasonably popular? Do you get a fair number of entries for, for some of these species? I mean, there's only four, and, and so I presume there haven't been a lot, but maybe I'm wrong. Is it been, Would you describe it as popular?
2: We've gotten a fair number of, uh, of applications. Uh, we've had to reject some because the measurements maybe weren't taken correctly. Northern pike and muskie have, have changed hands a number of times in the last mm-hmm. few years. Um, the lake sturgeon and the flathead catfish are, are going to be tough ones to break at this point, um, but it doesn't mean that there aren't people out there trying. <laughs>
0: So the plan is to add, what, 18 other species to this catch-and-release record fish program. What, six per year starting in 2024?
2: That's that's correct, yes. All
0: right, so 2024 you'd have six, 2025 you'd have six, and 2026 you'd add six more. Is this going to add, you know, create some new workload for the DNR? I mean... Historically, the record fish program was, you know, you got it on a certified scale. There was a little bit of paperwork involved in verifying things, but I'd like to think it was a fairly simple program to manage. Is this going to get more complex for you guys, or do you you think it's still going to be a relatively small program overall?
2: Overall, I think it'll still remain a relatively small program. However, we are staggering the, the six species per year on the catch and release because of the concern about creating a workload issue. Right now, I'm the one that manages the program completely. Uh, and uh, if I had 18 species suddenly open up at, at one time, that could potentially be a workload issue, yes.
0: What's the overall feedback been? You know, this has been out in the news for a couple, two, three weeks now. What's the initial feedback that you're getting from some state fishing organizations? Are you getting any backlash or or any uh, positive response to this from the general public?
2: Yeah, vast majority of the feedback has been positive interest in, in the catch and release records I've uh, gotten quite a bit of feedback uh, appreciating the placement of, of some rough fish species uh, in the catch and release options. We have had a few people indicate that they are concerned that you know we're trying to encourage people to catch and kill by opening up some of these these large fish like the old northern mm. pipe record, for example. Mm-hmm and you know and we're not uh we're not anti-harvest here at the dnr we we certainly encourage people to catch and release when it's a when it's appropriate but that doesn't mean we don't we are opposed to harvesting fish as well
0: sure no i at outdoor nudes we walk a fine line on that too we always try to respect folks that want to keep some fish for for eating but we also try to honor those folks that Mm -hmm. that release big fish we throw that little catch and release logo so it's we, get, we can't forget what we're all about, uh, that, you know, it's, it's not about necessarily playing with your food. Sometimes it's about filleting these fish and, and turn them into yeah. food, too, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: The thing I would add to that is that we're, you know, we're looking at, again, setting some minimum lengths for these fish. And uh, we're not looking at large numbers of large fish that are going to be killed as a result of this. It's going to be a very small handful.
0: Yeah, as we've been discussing, it'd be really important, I think, like on the northern pike thing. To yeah. make sure you got you got a, a real strong minimum there, so we're not killing a bunch of uh, you know nice sized pike that that really are nowhere near state records. Well, finally, Shannon, if folks want to chime in, they can do this. Looks like they can email you, Shannon at state.mn.us. And uh, again, I, I presume if you want if there's going to be any public feedback on this, you need to hear it by when, sometime next year.
2: Yeah, we would like to get our feedback uh, in, you know, back from folks by you know. The middle of january and uh in that
0: 2023
2: of 2023 okay yep. all right yep and uh so we can move on uh in terms of getting this uh program in place and and making some decisions on how we're going to proceed
0: that's shannon.fisher f-i-s-h-e-r at state.mn.us thanks so much for spending a segment with me good stuff and I, you know i support what you guys are doing good luck with it uh, as it uh, comes together next year Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Shannon Fisher from the Minnesota DNR. Let's break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Final segment, everybody, WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Jerislein, Managing Editor, Publisher of Outdoor News. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you have enjoyed a great first day of 2023. A couple of minutes left here to take a call if anybody wants to check in, 651 461 Ninety-two twenty-six. Otherwise, a couple news headlines I will wrap up this week's broadcast with. One, uh, the Minnesota DNR is doing its annual roundtable on Friday, January 20th. Uh, Outdoor News will be there, and uh, WCCO Outdoors will have a thorough report uh, on the 22nd. I'll look forward to talking to listeners about uh, some of the newsmaking that occurred at that event. Uh, it's, always, it's always a big deal that DNR invites a lot of folks stakeholders, they call them, from uh, different outdoor groups. Uh, There's usually hundreds of people there, and it's a good opportunity to uh, mingle with a lot of folks and find out what the DNR's priorities are uh, as we go into uh, the coming year. Uh, The DNR held the 2022 version uh, back in May or June, late May or early June, Uh, again, because of COVID concerns a year ago. Uh, it's traditionally held in in January, so we're kind of getting back on schedule. Uh, really excited to uh, to see that event kick off again. Uh, the DNR this year, for the first time ever, telling the general public that there were some slots for the general public if they wanted to get involved, if they wanted to register and participate in the roundtable, an event they read about in outdoor pages in Minnesota. Uh, they opened it up on Wednesday. Uh, the 28th, to the public. I'm not sure if there's still, I probably should have checked the website to see if it was still open, if folks could still register. Uh, But if you want to check it out, if it's an event you're interested in attending, go to mndnr.gov backslash roundtable, mndnr.gov backslash roundtable. There might still be some slots. I think they were still pushing it on social media on Friday, uh, which would suggest that they had some openings available. So, uh, Check it out if that's if that's something that interests you. Uh, there was a big uh, what, what we call in the uh, the business news dump on Friday that came out of the Biden administration. Uh, the so called WOTUS rule waters of the United States. The Biden administration issued their interpretation, their ruling on how to go forward with that. Uh, you you know you want to talk inside baseball regulations? Well, yeah, WOTUS is one of those things, but it's it's an issue that's been kicked around a lot there were a couple of supreme court rulings on the clean water act uh, what in about 2001 2002 the beginning por- portion of this century prior to that everyone kind of accepted what the clean water act said about some of these wetlands rules and navigable waters what what rules were what waters were protected under the clean water act those supreme court rulings kind of threw that all into a tizzy and every administration since has been trying to figure out how to how to navigate this, so to speak, Uh, the the George Bush, George W. Bush administration took a crack at it, didn't get it done. The Obama administration took a crack at it, really passed pretty much, I think, what was brewing under the Bush administration, although a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Then the Trump administration did a 180 on that. uh, And then the Biden administration has, I think, gone closer to what the Obama administration wanted to do, not quite as far uh, of course, there's a lot of people that, that saw what came out Friday. Uh, and and some of us you know, in the news business weren't thrilled that it came out, you know, hours before a holiday weekend. That's why we call it a, a you know, a weekend holiday weekend news dump. Uh, there's apparently a lawsuit brewing in the Supreme Court, Sackett versus EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, that's going to play a role in all this. So a lot of folks, even folks who maybe view this rule and, 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 and you know, environmental protection of waterways a little different through a different lens than I do. Who are saying why why issue this when we're on the cusp of another Supreme Court ruling on it? And I gotta admit that that makes some sense. So, bottom line, we're probably not done uh, with with this uh, rule. But I'm also I'm still waiting to hear from some conservation groups and get their take. Usually, when you, a ruling like this comes down, you spend the rest of the day going through your emails. All the conservation groups, Ducks Unlimited, whatever they might be, issue press releases with their take on on this whatever the new government rule is i didn't get any of that this week and i suspect it's partially because of of the timing right before the holiday weekend so perhaps a week from now perhaps a week from now we'll know a whole lot more about it in uh outdoor news this week i've got my annual year in review where i go back and look at some of the top stories from the past year and it was quite a year we had a new wolf plan federal ammunition turned 100 years old uh We'll probably get someone from Federal on again to talk about that. Uh, the, Jim Hauptman won his, or uh, Joe Houtman, rather, won his sixth Federal Duck stamp, uh, tying his brother, Jim, who uh, had also won it six times. There's only two men to uh, to ever win that. And probably the, one of the biggest stories was that big poaching case on Lake Erie uh, involving that tournament that popped out there. So uh, we'll, we'll maybe talk more about the year in review next week. Uh, for now, I want to wish everybody a Happy New Year one more time. I want to thank all the health care workers out there, the law enforcement workers out there who have been working over the holidays the past two weeks, as well as radio producers like our own Jonathan Lowe here who's been working hard over the holidays, uh, including today. We wouldn't get uh, cool things done like radio without people like him. With that, everyone have a great week out of doors. Rob Driesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.